Hello and welcome to Stranger Themes on Word Salad Radio. I'm your host, Joe Ketchum, and I'm joined today once again by Tyler Pistorius. How's it going, Tyler? I've been excited to do this episode, Joe. I'm feeling very good. Thank you again for having me on. I'm literally wearing a Barbenheimer t-shirt as we're recording this. I have two. It would have felt wrong if I didn't put on a Barbenheimer shirt in anticipation for the recording of this episode. <laughs> yeah, I wish I had a Barbenheimer shirt. Um, I'm wearing my like HRC heart rainbow shirt that I like a lot. So that's you know they, I, I think I, fits I, nicely. Yeah, I think I. You know what? I think I would go as far as to say that shirt is Knuff. The shirt. I, I am Knuff. The shirt is Knuff. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we've so, we've talked about doing a Barbenheimer Stranger Themes for like six months now. <laughs> like, pretty pretty much since like the Barbenheimer thing became entered theaters, and we have both seen we have seen both movies. It's like we've got to do an episode on this. This is too good. <laughs> yeah. So then it was just a matter of I want to wait until they're both streaming, or I own them both, or a, a combination of the two. They are mm-hmm. currently both streaming, and you bought Oppenheimer and gave me the the code, so I, I own that. Yes. So it was just a matter of scheduling it and getting it done. I haven't done a podcast in a while. It's it's same it, here. It's addictively calming to not have to do podcasts all the time. I <laughs> so. agree completely. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's been a while. Like so much to the, like. I'm trying to remember how it works with Stranger Themes. Like I I talk about Barbie and the and the theme that I discovered. Or you talk about Oppenheimer, or you talk about Barbie and the theme that you discovered that I gave to you. <laughs> yeah, I talk about the theme that you discovered. Yes, and you talk okay, about the theme that I discovered in Oppenheimer. Yeah, that's how it goes. Okay, perfect, perfect. I guess um, I'll just talk about Oppenheimer briefly because I've, I've I've seen the movie according to my letterbox five times. Oh wow. Um, uh, yeah, four of which were in the theater, and of the four theatrical excursions, one of them was on IMAX. That the whole 15 perf 70 millimeter, the way Christopher Nolan intended, had to drive all the way out to Indianapolis to go see it that way. It was a two day trip, driving out to Indiana, staying in a hotel, go to see Oppenheimer, and then come back to Chicago. Uh, but on my recent viewing of Oppenheimer, I was, you know, the the movie is about a lot of things, uh, but the thing that I took from Oppenheimer on my my fifth viewing of it is that Oppenheimer is a is a scathing critique of uh to the uh, on the media for setting unrealistic beauty standards for women yep 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 Uh, I concur I concur that is exactly what I observed and passed along and you know I'm anxious to hear well, uh, I'm anxious to hear how you agree with me in every way. Yes, basically. Well, you know, since since we're on since we're on the subject of Barbenheimer, the way that I did it was that I saw Oppenheimer first, and then gave myself three hours after seeing Oppenheimer to decompress, get some food, and then go see Barbie. So I think it's fitting that Oppenheimer would be the one to go up first, and also um, Oppenheimer is in a way it's actually fitting because saving barbie for last because barbie ended up being the number one box office number one of the box office of 2023 so uh although which, Oppenheimer, which is fitting it's it's a fun theater going yeah. experience so it's like it was really fun to go to the alamo and see it with a room full of people and just have a great time with barbie yeah i i went to the landmark to go and see it with a room full of people it was the saturday that it had opened and oh my gosh it was a great time and also it was like it was like going to a party after having to go to a funeral um 
with Oppenheimer doing a very impressive, I think, 950, almost a billion dollars, which is crazy to think about. Yeah, in in um, this uh, story of a of this American Prometheus, uh, Killian Murphy's portrayal of J. Robert Oppenheimer. Um, there, I noticed that there are some feminine qualities to him, and in a way, the committee hearings are kind of a representation of the media kind of going after this one particular figure for not fitting to their standards of beauty. The the, the communist beliefs, basically. The, the communist beliefs are sort of that thing that the, the media is coming down on. Like The, the communist beliefs can basically represent uh, a person looking and appearing like a real person, you know, not having to get all of this insane amount of work done on their body to basically look like a Barbie doll, essentially, ironically. Yeah. <laughs> you, you even have the presence of um, actresses like uh, Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt and, um, oh, uh, gosh, uh, not uh, Amber Tamblyn. If I'm, uh, no, not Amber Tamblyn. Um, I know who, who you mean, but I'm trying to remember her name. Oh, okay. I, I've, I've got to get this name the, right. The uh, female physicist, yes. That's yes. Who you're referring uh, to? Yeah, I can't yeah, remember her name either. I'm gonna. I'm looking this up now because I'm. I cannot. I'm. I'm not gonna just sit here and just let that slide. That is disrespectful to that actress, especially given the subject matter. Uh, not Amber Tamblyn. It is. She was also in Dread. That's Olivia right, Thirlby. Yes. Olivia Thirlby. Yes. Absolutely. It, yeah. Olivia Thirlby, um, Emily Blunt, and Florence Pugh, all beautiful women, all natural-looking women too, and. Um, and even the film goes as far as to have Florence Pugh basically showcase herself in all of her natural beauty, not once, not twice, but three times. And in one of those instances, I found it interesting that Nolan decided to have the juxtaposition of the uh, committee hearings where Oppenheimer's life is completely exposed. And then it's literally depicted as him being completely naked. And then there's... Uh, Florence Pugh's character, uh, Gene Tatlock, you know, sitting on on his um, kibbles and bits, basically. Um, <laughs> remember, remember, this is Stranger Themes. You got to keep it, uh, got to keep PG rated. She, she so is straddling him, yes. Straddling him. It's, it's an exchange of the birds and the bees. And then you have <laughs> uh, Kitty Oppenheimer in the uh, play by Emily Blunt, who is sitting observing this. Kind of, she's now starting to kind of get into Oppenheimer's head and imagining his infidelity and then you have that uh cold look from uh the florence pew uh from florence pew just kind of looking at her going he was never he was never really yours even though she obviously is not really there and it's just a figment of her imagination with the with the corporate hearings just kind of bringing all that to the forefront it's like a gut punch for kitty oppenheimer to for her to see like even oppenheimer uh found um uh, Kitty's natural beauty not good enough in a way because he yeah. went to go after somebody who we thought fit his standards of beauty a bit more than even his own wife that, that's one of the things I liked about the movie is that it didn't shy away from the fact that although he was a brilliant physicist he was also a deeply deeply flawed man <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and I like all these things you're talking about and I, I hit on or I, I, was, I noticed the same kind of use of Oppenheimer's infidelity for this discussion because mm -hmm. his involvement with both women is kind of his wanting what he can't have and his his shifting standards of beauty 
because like, you're right. Like Florence Pugh, especially in this movie, I think Florence Pugh is a profoundly beautiful woman, but in this yeah, movie, I think they really highlight a, a more natural look for her. And she has mm-hmm. curves and she looks like she enjoys uh, a meal. And like, she, she doesn't look like a, a supermodel. Whereas Emily Blunt is more like classically a classic movie star statuesque beauty. Yes. So like, he, uh, I was just gonna say, it. so like him choosing to Ooh. get involved with Kitty and move away from Florence Pugh and the the effect that has on Gene, it, it all plays into this like, oh, I'm not good enough for you. I'm not pretty enough for you. It's it's really mm-hmm. heartbreaking, yeah. Yeah, and then you have that that harrowing scene when um they whenever they find out that uh, Jean Tatlock uh, unalived herself. Mm-hmm. Uh, gonna gonna try to avoid uh, trigger words with this uh, episode. Um, and then Oppenheimer has that breakdown out in the woods, and then she has that great moment of, "You think you get to commit a sin, and then expect all of us to feel sorry for you when it doesn't work out." Uh, it's like you see that you know she's she's actually gonna she's actually standing up to herself against her you know kind of cowardly husband. Uh, that's the other thing I liked about this movie is that it portrays Oppenheimer as a bit of a coward. Yeah, and then in talking about the two the the two characters that you do, that you were just describing, then you also have the Olivia Olivia Thirlby character who's kind of got like this girl next door look to her. Also mm-hmm. a very she's also a very naturally beautiful person. And then you have her juxtaposed with all these male scientists. Oh, the, gosh, they even had that one exchange where they're worried about the 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 effects of the atomic bomb on a, a person's uh, private area. And they all they even make a point to kind of objectify her. <laughs> and it's it's done in a way to like, we're, we're protecting you, right? It's done in that like, yes. Of, oh, we don't want you working on the project because we don't know what the effects of radiation will be on your ability to have little babies and be a homemaker. It's like, it's so condescending. It's but this, ho- that's what we're horrible. talking about. It's like that societal expectation for women to be beautiful, mm-hmm. to be mothers, to be housewives. Like it's all there. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the thing is like, no, she's, she's there because she's good at what she does. Like that's why she's there. And also it's a like, who knows like if it's going to have any, if it, with what, what kind of effect it's going to have on a male reproductive organ. I think it'll have more of an effect on it. They even make that, she even makes that observation. So she even kind of throws those beauty standards back in their faces mm-hmm. and, and good for her because especially like these, these nerds, these absolute, like some of these nerds are losing their hair and they have the gall to talk to her like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's Nolan showing like paralleling, the the time the movie takes place in with the time the movie is made right mm, it's like we yes. still have these this mentality we still have these comments happening far too frequently we still we have more and more unreasonable expectations for beauty and for uh, women not only just how they look but how they act and their morality yes. and their purity is like all these things are forced on them at a cultural level from birth Oh yeah, like it's it's funny. The the same day, uh, July twenty first, twenty twenty three, we happen to have not one but two feminist masterpieces. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, one one other um, angle that I want to talk about with um, the the unrealistic standards of beauty is the bum, the bum, Dimitri. The bum. Oh, well, let me. <laughs> I thought you were saying uh, bum. Let... Like like the Florence bum. Pugh's Flor- Flor- Florence Pugh's butt. Is that what we're talking about here? <laughs> Well, I mean, do we, we, I mean, the they bum. said they, the bum. Well, you do see the bum, the bum, but no, the bomb. 
The bomb, the bomb, Dimitri. Dimitri. Uh, well, let me finish, <laughs> Dimitri. <laughs> well, and before we let this turn into just us quoting Doctor Strangelove for the rest of the episode, yeah, just we, we a have... dramatic reading of Strangelove for the rest. Of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> you can't fight in here. This is the war the room. War room. <laughs> <laughs> the doomsday machine. God, I love Doctor Strangelove. Anyway, uh, you were saying with the uh, with the um, the atomic bomb. I love the the build up to the Trinity test, and then when the moment happens and the bomb goes off, you hear Oppenheimer's you know panting, deep breathing, like almost as if it's him looking at the most beautiful woman he's ever seen in his life, and he's having a very hard time keeping it together. And the and also the the explosion itself, it is also it's both like spectacular and underwhelming at the same time because it just like comes and goes mm-hmm. and um and definitely had and and also i like the films having to use a forced perspective to make the explosion look bigger than it actually does um obviously because you can't detonate a nuclear bomb for a movie because you, you well, can't if you want to keep doing practical effects as nolan loves to do <laughs> as he loves to do um which i think is a can be a good thing and a bad thing because i think with um uh, with with uh, with Dunkirk, although I did I did admire the use of the practical effects on it, I believe the actual event of Dunkirk, there were way more planes up in the air than just uh, three British planes and a few German planes. Uh, but with uh, Oppenheimer, yeah, obviously they weren't going to be able to detonate a nuclear device out in the desert, especially because, well, look what happened to the production of the Conqueror. They were filming <laughs> downwind of a nuclear test site, and everybody yeah. got cancer and died. Gets real bad. So, yeah, got real bad. So, yeah, doing it practically is obviously the safe manner. Probably could have touched it up with a little CG, but I also still like the effect overall. Yeah, um, I think it looks great. It does look great, especially those like close-ups of the fire and everything, and. And also, too, like uh, that explosion, the atomic bomb is sort of that becomes the the standard for women that ends up having to that ends up not being good enough for the United for the United States government because they now want to build a bigger bomb, uh, especially in response to the Russians having a device of their own, uh, which is established at a certain point. And then you have the um, the Benny Safdie character Edward Teller who wants to basically make an even more like unrealistically beautiful woman in the form of a hydrogen bomb. Mm-hmm. And most of the, and, and most of the members of the United States government are completely on board with that with, uh, without taking into consideration the consequences and the ramifications and the implications that, that would come with that. So the bomb itself is also a, re- a metaphor for the, uh, the unrealistic expectations for women, because you have this one bomb the fact that they even accomplished without igniting the atmosphere is a miracle in and of itself. A terrifying miracle, miracle, but one nonetheless. And it's dropped twice <laughs> off screen because we're getting it all from Oppenheimer's perspective. And then the answer to that is, well, now we need to build a bigger bomb. Because yeah. what, if, what, if the, what if the Russians or what if another enemy country has a bomb bigger than ours? Then what do we do? We, we got we to we build this impossibly beautiful woman this bombshell, no less, uh, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. and then it just, and then it becomes like the crux of the the horror that is Oppenheimer, it culminating in that amazing uh, basketball gym scene where he's trying to give this speech and he says the most tone deaf stuff like, "Oh, I bet, I bet the Japanese didn't like it." 
Yeah. Which is like horrible to say. He he has no idea how to cope with the reality of what he has done. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And yeah, it culminating into that that staggering shot of um who I found out was played by actually Christopher Nolan's own daughter, Flora Nolan. Uh when it's a close up of the of the girl and her her face is peeling away, which is a wow. horrifying shot. Yeah. And uh and then that's when Oppenheimer's quest to create like the ultimate bombshell literally blows up in his face because now he's dealing with the ramifications of the fact that he has created a weapon of mass destruction, a weapon of mass murder and mass genocide. And it also, you know, just the evolution of technology highlights how we use technology to keep upping the ante on these beauty standards. You take a picture of a woman, you make her thinner, you clear up her complexion, you, you, mold her into what is believed to be perfect and mm-hmm. no one looks like that. So right. the tech, the evolution of technology becomes this thorn in our side and the thorn in the side of women. And yeah, that's perfectly encapsulated by this atomic weapon that you just drop and it destroys everything. Oh yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's absolutely staggering. And yeah, and then we we keep going with the uh, with the Senate here, with the Senate and the committee hearings, um, and then you have uh, the Salieri of sorts to Oppenheimer's Mozart in the form of Robert Downey Jr., which who I think is, I think gives the best performance of his entire career, and I'm not making that statement lightly, considering that like, <laughs> considering the guy was freaking Iron Man, <laughs> and he also played <laughs> Charlie Chaplin, and he's I, I also agree, a- I agree. It's like it's hard to imagine anyone but Robert Downey Jr. and Killian Murphy winning their Oscars this year. It's I, it, yeah, <laughs> I like the watch rewatching it last night. I was like, oh, tickety boo. They are good. <laughs> yes, are so they are. Good. <laughs> and, and what's funny too, is that, you know, when you look at the a character like Louis Strauss, like casting Robert Downey Jr., I mean, I was, I mean, when I heard that he was playing the character, I was like, okay, Robert Downey Jr. in a Nolan film. Okay, let's go, let's go. But then as the character, as it goes along, it's like, it's actually wild that Robert Downey Jr. is playing this role because you kind of figure that somebody else would be in that role, but it just shows like just how great of an actor Robert Downey Jr. is that I really can't imagine anybody else in that role now. It's it's some of the best work I've ever seen him do. I think even he's gone on record and said that Oppenheimer is the best film he's ever done. Um, and I'm not going to argue with him on that, even though I also love him dearly in uh, Zodiac, uh, which is another great movie. But back to him and Oppenheimer, there is sort of a, a, a weird beauty standard conflict between him and Oppenheimer because he it's funny. He kind of looks at Oppenheimer like the most beautiful woman who ever lived. You know, He keeps calling him the most important man who ever lived. Like he really admires him, very much looks up to him. And Oppenheimer in another great showcase of just how flawed of a person he was is like so dismissive of him. Even going as far as to call him a lowly shoe, a lowly shoe salesman, where it's like, Oppenheimer, you're, Oppenheimer, you're a jerk. And then he, he uh, negs, then, he negs straws. He's negging him. He, <laughs> yes, he does. He does. And then uh, he negs him. He negs him a little bit more uh, whenever he's uh, uh, basically talking about how um, Strauss's idea for uh, transmitting isotopes wouldn't work. And then Strauss becomes much more vindictive. And then even going as far as to just dwelling on. A conversation that Oppenheimer has with Albert Einstein the day that the two of them, uh, the day that Strauss meets Oppenheimer for the first time, thinking that he's that they're bad mouthing him when 
their conversation had nothing to do with Strauss, but that becomes like the whole crux of his motivation to bring down Oppenheimer. So he's probably thinking, yo, you know, Strauss, he's, he's an idiot. He's, he's not good enough, you know, kind of feeding into, you know, those unrealistic standards that we all portray. Yeah. Uh, or that's, or that the media portrays, I should say the media portrays. And when in actuality, the conversation had nothing to do with him. <laughs> the conversation had to do with uh, the thing that I've created uh, that could destroy the entire world. Uh, we, we, we had our calculations that there was a chance we would destroy the entire world. Well, I believe we did. And it's mm-hmm. actually thanks in part to people like Strauss, but also people in those committee hearings as well, uh, like the like the Roger Robb character played by Jason Clark, who's constantly like just so horrible to Oppenheimer. The, and even... Um, the Roger Robb character is like a, is a good indictment of the media itself. Like he kind of is like that media that's demanding unrealistic standards for women, especially in terms of how he cross examines both Oppenheimer and Kitty Oppenheimer. And Oh, it's such a great moment for Emily Blunt. I, I feel like that's going to be her Oscar clip is her exchange with um, Roger Robb when she's throwing every, every condescending, every uh rhetorical question back into oh, his face yeah absolutely uh, so yeah it's him like him like even like going up to like this you know like this this classic hollywood beauty that is emily blunt and basically kind of grilling her on how she's how she's not good enough because of her previous communist beliefs which is basically the stand-in for her beauty standards saying you know well obviously you're not beautiful enough but uh <laughs> But then she just throws it right back in his face. And it's it's a wonderful scene of her, especially considering that she's doing it while she's drunk. <laughs> she's always drunk. I appreciate the the leaning into her postpartum depression, her alcoholism, mm-hmm. as all like symptoms of not not believing you're living up to a, a beauty standard, not believing right. you're good enough. Um, so even though she is a beautiful woman, she still has this insecurity that is created by her relationship with Oppenheimer, her the society around her, the culture. I'm glad you hit on Straws because uh, I wasn't sure what to do with him as a character as far as the theme goes. But imagining him like idealizing scientists the way that a man might idealize a woman or have their view of a woman or relationship skewed by the use of these unreasonable beauty standards, I think is um mm-hmm. really good because then straws has a, a kind of toxic masculinity that stems from being rejected by Oppenheimer mm-hmm. and Einstein or his perception that he's being rejected when actually they don't care that much about him at all <laughs> so which makes right. it even worse <laughs> it's like they right, think they're... that they're thinking they're that he thinks they're uh rejecting him but in fact, they don't care that much. <laughs> yeah, they have other things on mind. They have yeah. other things in their mind. It's like, uh, like uh, what um, uh, like Han Alden Solo Aaron. tells us. They're, they're <laughs> yeah, probably, I was going to say Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> they're probably more important things to do. <laughs> oh, I love Alden Ehrenreich as a Senate aide. Oh, he is such a great. Um, he's a great foil to um, uh, Lewis. The great foil to the Lewis Strauss character, and I also. Agree. And also, kind of the, the the moral center of all the black and white scenes. Like mm-hmm. he, he's the one that has more of a the moral compass instead of uh, Louis Strauss. And it's funny too, like with um, Strauss's uh, projection of these uh, beauty standards ends up being his own downfall, especially when you get the appearance of uh, Rami Malek. Uh, which that one scene in uh, where Rami Malek comes in to uh, basically undo all of the work that Strauss did by having by saying he should be completely out of government. I will say. That might be my favorite 
act that might be my favorite Rami Malik moment in his career so far. Yeah, it's, it's a good, it's really good scene. I'm glad they brought in someone with like a Remy Malik gravitas to do it. Yeah, it's it's yeah, he's he's terrific in it. It's just one scene where he gets to have a speech, but boy does he he boy does he deliver. And yeah, he and he there yeah calls out um, Strauss's Strauss's uh, <laughs> basically going after Oppenheimer in such a vindictive manner, basically you know calling out uh, um, Strauss's beauty standards right out to his face in this Senate here and calling out those unrealistic standards. It's it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. And I think what something else I, I guess that could be that could be mentioned are those who are testifying uh, on Oppenheimer's behalf or testifying against Oppenheimer because this is a good I guess this is a great way to kind of bring in like the Matt Damon character and the and the uh, General Groves and, and and also other characters like um, Ernest Lawrence with Josh Hartnett who ends up hmm. not going to the the hearings by faking an illness because he's he's got Oppenheimer's back even though he didn't at first because he was really upset with um Oppenheimer bringing in these uh, communist beliefs into <laughs> this laboratory <laughs> where yeah. they're building the bomb so yeah he's he's very much like what are you doing these are not the standards that we uphold here so yeah he's like he's like I can't I can't hire you because of this it's like you're, you can't hire you you're not pretty you're not pretty enough and you're not capitalist enough <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the um the David Crumholz character who I love all oh, uh, Izzy is such a great character, and he is so fantastic. And he's probably the biggest defender of Oppenheimer that we see. And uh, he's the one that definitely defends that you know natural beauty standards instead of unrealistic beauty standards. I think it reflects in terms of just how the character appears in the movie, the, the Izzy character, because he's a bit more he's he's stocky, he's losing his hair. And there he is, uh, championing uh, regular booty, beauty standards. I said, I almost said booty standards. Good lord! <laughs> All the booties bum. are beautiful. <laughs> the bum, Dimitri. The bum. <laughs> <laughs> but, and um, and General Groves, he, uh, the Matt Damon character, he comes in to testify in defense of Oppenheimer, and then, but he also does kind of make that quip about how he probably wouldn't have approved him or anybody in that facility today, uh, based on their communist beliefs, based off of their beauty standards, but. It almost in a way is neither here or there, but then you have Roger Robb, this jerk, who's like, I, you don't need to say anymore. Well, you told me what I wanted to hear. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I wanted you, I wanted to hear you say there are beauty standards you would not approve of today. Thank you. Get out. <laughs> oh, what else? Uh, oh, oh, gosh. Truman. Gary Oldman. Oh, yeah. Truman. <laughs> <laughs> don't let that cry baby back in here. <laughs> <laughs> Him taking out the handkerchief and mockingly waving it at him. Yeah. Oh God, it's a vicious. It's a vicious scene when um, Oppenheimer goes to visit the president, and the president and uh, his aide. They're talking about how they want to build better bombs. You know, make make uh, build bigger and better bomb bomb shells essentially. And Oppenheimer's there saying, "I think what we did was enough. Let's let's really think about what we're doing here." But Truman's like, oh, I don't think so. <laughs> we can't shut this down. And then um, Oppenheimer has that moment where he feels that he has uh, blood on his hands. He's now coming to terms with his own views of unrealistic standards of, uh, of women's beauty. And then Truman just doesn't have it. He just mocks him and just wants nothing to do with him ever again. It's, uh, it's a vicious scene. It's absolutely vicious. Yeah, because... Because clearly you bring in Truman as, as like a cameo, as the, the seat of government, the center of American society. 
Mm-hmm. And it's just about, okay, where where our morality is versus where it should be. And I think Oldman encapsulates that very nicely. Oh, he does. I've, I've been hearing murmurs that he might be retiring. If this is the last film he ever does, then it's a good one to go out on. It's, and it's, a great... it's better than Jim Carrey's last movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I assume I didn't, I didn't even... see it. I don't know. I don't know if it's in I, I, I have also not seen his last movie. I'm, I'm assuming it's a Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog 2 was his, his last movie. Though I hear okay. he's coming back for the third one, so retirement over i guess he just loves sonic movies he just loves playing dr robotnik i mean i guess i mean that's that's fine i I guess i didn't really believe he was actually going to retire in the first place so if he comes back for anything i was like yeah i wouldn't be surprised Mm -hmm. (laughs) hey at this point um hayao miyazaki has retired so many times and yeah exactly he's he's currently up for a nomination for best animated feature film at the oscars so and it's it's a for a very good film too the boy and the heron i really like that one a lot so Gary Oldman, if he actually retires, we'll see. Uh, I mean, I'm I'm convinced that Daniel Day Lewis could come back to acting at any point. So retirement, retirement. I'd be surprised if Lewis never does another movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. I would be really He's, surprised if he never acts again. I would be really surprised too. So what 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 else about Oppenheimer do you think we could talk about? Because we covered a lot of ground with this. I mean, yeah, yeah. there is a lot of ground to cover. It's a three hour epic. Three hour movie. <laughs> I think you did great. You covered a lot of my observations. I did like the poison apple. Oh um, gosh, yes. Which seems to me to be an obvious nod to Snow White, which is a story mm-hmm. about a woman who is homicidally jealous of a, a more beautiful woman, and it, uh, very much Snow White very much plays into the societal standard of beauty rather than yes. the subjective standard of beauty because. She doesn't ask who's the prettiest of them all. She asks who's the fairest of them all, which means who is the whitest of them all. And whiteness was equated with beauty when that movie comes out. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. it's all about the societal standard. Yeah. And it's funny. We in talking about um, the 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 fairest of them all with the the, the context of Oppenheimer, because uh, there there was some fervor uh, online and obviously uh, online discourse is a, a nightmare of um, bad takes. One, one of the funniest takes that I saw was that um, Oppenheimer didn't have enough people of color. It's like, guys, this is about the building of the <laughs> atomic bomb. You do not want ownership of this. This was the white man's fault. OK, <laughs> yeah, this is and... one of one of yeah. countless other atrocities committed by the fairest of them all. OK, <laughs> You don't want this. <laughs> and the fact is, you know, historical accuracy, there wouldn't have been a lot of opportunities for black people working in these. Environments. No, yeah, no, there wouldn't. Absolutely no. not. So it's like people like, what are you doing? Why do you want ownership of the worst thing that mankind has ever invented? Okay. <laughs> next, I mean, next to microtransactions, it's the worst thing my, a mankind has ever invented. <laughs> Actually, I take that back. No, the 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 weapon of mass destruction is objectively the worst thing we've ever invented. Like we don't we don't ever. They do have that discussion about you know whether this was justified or not, and it does kind of leave that up in the air, which I think is a, a good stance to take because it, it leaves it up to the viewer to decide if this was an overall good thing we created or a terrible thing we created. But by the end, I do think the film makes it clear with those apocalyptic images that are in Oppenheimer's head that used to just be little raindrops in the, in the, in the puddle at the beginning of the movie now become these big fiery raindrops on the earth. And then the whole thing is enveloped in flames. And then that's where we leave the movie in large part because of uh, 
the it's it's uh, basically a commentary on the destructive nature of uh, the media's unrealistic beauty standards that women need to be upheld to. At the end of the day, it's it's good for nobody, and it hurts the world more than it helps it. Yeah. And uh, that's that is Christopher Nolan's Oppenheimer, one of his, I, one of if not his uh, absolute best movies of that man's career. It's got me looking forward to seeing what he does next because I remember going into Oppenheimer, Joe. After seeing Tenet, thinking this better be good, because that last one, oh my goodness! But yeah, <laughs> it it was it, it was it wasn't just good; it was amazing. <laughs> yeah, so. I, I agree. It's one of it's one of his better films. And after the disappointment of Tenet and Dunkirk, I didn't care for Dunkirk either. Um, mm-hmm. I, I was really hoping that this would be a return to form for him, and man, was I pleased! Oh my goodness. One of the one of the and I think one of the best biopics um, right up there with um, I was going to say it's it's, a, it's about on par with uh, Lawrence of Arabia. But I already know you're going to think this. You think Oppenheimer is a much better movie than Lawrence of Arabia. And that's yes. that's totally fine. I will. Much, much I'm not going to I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> trying to think of like my go to like great biopic. I just rewatched The Social Network. Oh, another great one, which is such a masterpiece. Actually, um, The Social Network and Oppenheimer would be a good double feature, I think. Yeah, if if it wasn't permanently intertwined with Barbie, where I feel like I have to watch those two as a double feature forever, <laughs> then uh, yeah, it would probably make a pretty good double feature. Well, I mean, speaking of, let's uh, let's go over to Barbie. Let's talk about some Barbie. Let's, she are, she puts we, the Barbie in Barbenheimer. That's for sure. She absolutely did. Um, I I just got done watching Barbie myself, but enough about me. Let's hear your thoughts on Barbie. Yes. So I, unlike most of the world, I did not do the double feature of Barbie and Oppenheimer. That's um, okay. You know, <laughs> I was, I was home with my wife. My wife was definitely not going to, my wife wasn't going to see Oppenheimer full stop, but she wasn't going to do a double feature with me. Absolutely. So we went and saw Barbie around her schedule and we went with the Burnhams, um, had a good time. I saw Oppenheimer, I think a few weeks later when I was back in Arizona and I could just go see it on my own. But this time, yesterday, was the first time I was like, well, I'm going to watch them back-to-back. I'm going to do the double feature. I actually started with Barbie and then went to Oppenheimer just because of the name, Barbenheimer. Mm. So Barbie's yeah. first. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people did Barbie second as like an unwind, a wind down from Oppenheimer. And I completely get that. <laughs> but I like I like, that you, I like that you did the exact opposite order because that way we've got that perspective. Uh, where, where, you, where you started with Barbie and then you ended with Oppenheimer. I like that yes. you did that. I did, and I, I imagine, I kind of imagine that's how I'd always do it. I don't know. Maybe next time I want to watch these movies, I'll swap it, switch it out and see how it goes. But I like I, I, I like this version or this order. I haven't I haven't tried that order yet, and I think I'm going to, um, especially because I just got done watching Barbie. So that now, and then once we get done recording, that means I got to watch Oppenheimer. There you go. <laughs> Complete the Arben, the Barbenheimer. <laughs> exactly. But what I noticed in this second viewing of Barbie, um, and what Tyler noticed, is that uh, Barbie is in fact an examination of David Zaslav's failures as an executive of a film company. Zaslav, of course, is the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, and his tenure as head of the company has come over come under a lot of scrutiny in yes. recent years, as he makes continually more baffling decisions <laughs> to drive oh, like his Ki- company into the ground. Coyote versus Acme. I, I want to see that movie so bad. I, I know. I, I hear it's supposed to be really good. And they're like, nope, tax write-off. <laughs> uh, 
I mean, no, that, one, I gotta, no one can ever legally see it now. I gotta say though, the fact that this is a Warner Brothers joint, this Barbie. Man, Greta Gerwig, she is good. <laughs> She's so good. She's so good to make this movie under Zaslav's in Zaslav's house and yes. still like rip him apart the whole time. <laughs> you know, as we say, good for her. Good for her. I think <laughs> I think Greta Gerwig is in, uh, amazing. I think she is 3 for 3 as far as a director, like all three of her films have been stellar. Mhm. So, yes. and I I look forward to more of what whatever she's got next. I'm in. I can't wait. Oh, her next project, I'm I'm there opening day. I think it's gonna be like it might it could potentially be her best one yet. But uh, until is until that happens, uh, n- I I don't know if it is. I don't know. Okay, if it just is. just in terms of the trajectory of her career, just, just you know. yeah, trajectory of her career. Whatever she does next, I'm sure. I I I have a feeling her next film is gonna be even better than her last three, and that's saying something. I mean, but uh, very well could be. I love but, her work. But we'll see. Uh, but in the meantime, though, tell us about how Barbie manages to dress down Zaslav as an effective, as an, well, dress him down to the, an effective CEO that he is. Well, let's, let's start with Barbie herself and Ken okay. and their relationship because Ken is Zaslav. Yes. He, he's I agree. an obvious parallel to Zaslav. He is a, a buffoon, he's an idiot. He is obsessed with what other people think and, you know, you know, his very, his failures are very public and embarrassing, but he just trips his way into the next set of failures. Yes. Um, so he's Ken. He's just Ken. <laughs> <laughs> and anywhere else he'd be a, a, a tanning salon assistant. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> like, tanning salon assistant. <laughs> like, like part of, like part of this is that, you know, Ken is not qualified to really do anything in the real world. Right. <laughs> so the only place he has power is in Barbie land where he is able to kind of seize power and brainwash people. And he's hoisted up by other men who think he's a revolutionary when in fact he's just a doofus. Yes. So if you remove Ken Zaslav from Barbie land, Warner brothers, he would be, just like on the street struggling to survive. Like he has no discernible skills that I can see. And that I, comes I, across in his ability to run a company. That really, that is, that, that really does kind of nail it. Cause that's, that was, that was what my take on it was too. Whenever I, whenever I found the theory and may or may not have proposed that to you and you had to defend was that uh, Ken yeah, he's he's completely unqualified for any of these particular jobs. Just like David Zaslav is completely unqualified to be a CEO. And yet at the same time, he does become the most powerful person at Barbie land, just like Zaslav became the most powerful person at Warner Brothers Discovery. And we have seen the disastrous results of that, just like you see the disastrous disastrous results of Kendom land. Yes. <laughs> Kendom land. <laughs> I, I think they should just call Warner Brothers, you know, David's Mojo Dojo Casa House. Now <laughs> it's just a big money pit. That's all it is. <laughs> it's just a money pit stocked to the Raptors with brewski beers. Like, <laughs> and everyone's all, all... Sing, and Matchbox 20 on loop. <laughs> Matchbox 20 on loop. And then you have like, you know, Mortal Kombat arcade cabinets um, yeah, that don't work. Yeah, of course. Yes. Yeah. They, don't, they, they don't work properly. Yeah. They don't work properly. <laughs> they, well, the one in the Dojo, Mojo Dojo Kasha house in 
uh, Barbie does work, but that scene that arcade cabinet is like, oh, Mortal Kombat. That franchise is struggling right now, and it's all because of Warner Brothers. Um, I, I, I did I, I did love seeing the appearance of Mortal Kombat, the arcade cabinet in there. It's almost as if Greta Gerwig saw what had become of Mortal Kombat 11 and saw the trajectory of where Mortal Kombat 1 was going with like the constant microtransactions, the complete lack of content. Like The game is struggling, especially since there's a new Street Fighter out with Street Fighter 6 and there's a new Tekken with Tekken 8 and they're blowing Mortal Kombat out of the water. Like, it's sad. <laughs> the, the movie I'm, overall is pretty prescient, actually, because you yeah. also have... When, when Ken takes over Barbie Land and the, um, the, the Mojo Dojo Casa House starts to sell like hotcakes, um, they, they greenlight a, a Ken movie, which is yes. meant to parallel a Barbie, the Barbie movie that we're watching. Mm. But it's prescient because when Barbie comes out and Barbie starts to do really well and it becomes the highest grossing movie of the year, they greenlight like 40 projects based on toys, completely missing the point of yes. what makes Barbie successful. And that is yeah. that is Zaslov philosophy to a T. It's like, <laughs> oh, you want you want movies based on toys? I'm gonna shove them right up your tickety boo. Here we go. <laughs> you're yeah, gonna have exactly. you're gonna have toy movies coming out your ears by the time I'm done. You want this? You're gonna get it forever. And it's like, no, there's been other movies based on toys, and you know. Some of them are really good and some of them are unwatchably terrible, but the yes. ones that are good are not because they're based on toys or beloved properties. It's because they're good. It's because they are, yeah, you know, more, they, they resonate with yeah, people. Yeah. It's, you know, other, other, okay, an example would be the Lego movie. Oddly exactly, enough, also yes. features, also, oddly enough, also features um, Will Ferrell in a CEO type position, no less. That's the um, key. You need Will Ferrell as like a, a domineering human character in your toy movie and that's the that's the connective tissue the connective tissue is this one it understands and celebrates everything that makes the toy special to begin with and two you cast will ferrell as the ceo boom mm -hmm. there you watch go. the cat and then you watch the cash roll in and you're good <laughs> a formula <laughs> we can all agree works yes and and, <laughs> and more and, and more likely than not your your movie's probably going to win best original song <laughs> probably because it's nominated in, for like three of them i think or two yeah, i mean i know i know everything is awesome from lego movie was nominated did that end up i don't know if that ended up winning but it was nominated I can't remember that's a good question i think it might have actually won that year okay okay oh, yeah maybe someone maybe. Well, on that. i think they performed at the at the oscars that's what i'm thinking of I, maybe it didn't actually win yeah that's that's the important thing though is that you got to make sure that's um we got to make sure that uh, you got to have a, a kicking song like everything is awesome or I'm just Ken. That might have been the year that the Coco song won. And I was disappointed because I really liked everything is awesome. Uh, I'm going to take a look now while while you continue on with uh, your observations about uh, Barbie and Zaslav. Yes. So so Barbie, on the other hand, the the antithesis of Ken Barbie represents the the intellectual property. And not just yeah. the intellectual property of Barbie, which has this long history and is beloved. It's all the IP that is controlled by Warner Brothers. It's your Mortal Kombat. It's your DC uh, comics. Mm -hmm. It's, I don't know, what mm -hmm. else does Warner Brothers own that people like? <laughs> oh, uh, they oh they own a whole bunch of things. They own uh, Lord of the Rings. They own Harry Potter. They own... Oh, uh, of course, Harry Potter. Yes. Yes. That's another um, good example of like yeah. how how a franchise can go so far off the rails 
under the wrong tutelage. <laughs> oh my god! Of I mean, a CEO. Yeah, and and also what happens when the even the original creator loses their mind and becomes a terrible human being? Yes, that uh, doesn't help. And you keep employing her to write those movies. Like, <laughs> I, no, no wonder that franchise is in the toilet. Yeah, I, I I have not bought that Hogwarts game because I can't give any money to J.K. Rowling. I can't. I know. It. I I kind of want to buy it just because just for Amanda. I kind of want her to have it and be able to play it. But yeah, I have a hard time supporting <laughs> J.K. Rowling in any form. Yes. Yeah, especially because she thinks that an entire group of people should not exist. It's like no, yeah. I can't get. I can't get. I know. I can't. It's it's bad. It's bad. So Barbie yeah. is all these IPs. They have this history. They have this built-in audience, and. Ken comes in and ruins everything. Zaslav comes in and ruins it all with mm-hmm. his his need for consumerism, his need to sexualize, his need to yes. uh, control and dominate. It's like, no, just let Barbie be Barbie and people will come along to that. People will enjoy that. Let let Batman be Batman and Superman be Superman and Mortal yeah. Kombat be Mortal Kombat and stop meddling. Yeah, stop meddling and stop price gouging it within an inch of its life. Mm-hmm. You know, let, 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 let the creatives do their thing, but no, it's whenever, whenever Ken takes over, like it's gotta be everything under his own understanding of how the world works in which he doesn't understand at all. He thinks it's all, it's all just men and horses. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> I think Zaslav wants to make good movies. I think there is something there where he wants, he wants to give people a good product, but he's so like, kind of like Ken wants a relationship with Barbie, but mm-hmm his his perversion his corruption from consumerism and the outside world and all these things just push her farther away just push what the fans want further away and it just becomes unattainable for him he just becomes incapable of giving us what we want with any of these things yeah and to the point where you almost kind of want you almost kind of question uh what what is what does Ken even really like? Like, does David Zaslav even like movies? Like, does does Ken even like does he does Ken even like the position that he's in? And he has that kind of question of faith uh, by the end of it, uh, yeah. to where he ends up having an emotional breakdown. Because because Ken does not seem to like being in charge after a little while. It was like all of it's too much for him. It, it, it Barbie Land. Ken Dom land descends into civil war between the Kens. Like it's, it's a miserable experience for him. He breaks down and it, it becomes clear at the end. Like maybe he doesn't even want a relationship with Barbie. He's just supposed to want that. Yes. And Zaslav is supposed to want a relationship with these properties and he's supposed to want to like movies and make good movies, but actually he just wants to dance Tyler. He just wants, he wants to be free from all of this. So he's going to keep ruining it until someone makes him go away. I mean, it could be that, or, I mean, there, there is a, there's an amazing line of dialogue that's actually said by the Will Ferrell CEO character that I think could apply to Zaslav here. The line is, you think I spent my entire life in boardrooms because of the bottom line? Which is a good implication and a scathing uh, question in regards to David Zaslav. But then Will Ferrell's character, the CEO, the Mattel CEO, follows up with, no, I got into this business because of little girls and their dreams in the least creepy way possible. (laughs) (laughs) And yeah, I I think think no little kid dreams of being a film executive. Like that's not what you want to write. You want to act. You want to direct. You want to make art. You don't want to be looking at flow charts and having board meetings. No one aspires to this. 
No, no. I mean, I I can't even imagine Zaslav would aspire to this. I mean, unless unless he's unless he just doesn't have a soul. Which and I'd know. like to think that he I like to think that he has a soul. <laughs> I mean, it's wishful thinking, but wishful you know. thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I think he has a soul, but it's been polluted by the money and the power, and you know, mm-hmm. that's it's just what we see paralleled in Ken's arc. The the more you're the more we're talking about this show, I'm the more I'm I'm astonished that this wasn't a tax write off. I know this I'm just... surprised this was not immediately shut down and like yeah. <laughs> we're gonna just take our tax write off. <laughs> I think this I'm... happened before that. Well, I mean, this must have been after the whole Batgirl. It, 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 yeah. it was it was after Batgirl and it was after Scoob. So yeah, yeah, Barbie. Yeah, the it was after both of those. So yeah, this 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 <laughs> did run the risk of becoming a tax write off. But no, uh, this ended up getting released in theaters. Somehow, uh, it just all flew over Zaslav's head. Or maybe he really wanted to push something out there that would basically be kind of a middle finger to Christopher Nolan because he's doing a movie under Universal. But then that backfired too because that all that made very close to a billion dollars. And it became like a celebrated theme of like, hey, we're, everybody, we're going to go see both of these movies. Uh, yep. We're going to go see these movies because it's a celebration of cinema. They're both cinema. They're both great movies. And it's spe- and both movies spoke to people. And uh, hopefully it, uh, it spoke to David Zaslav, other than just money. Hopefully he kind of takes a look at it and just starts to see the error of his ways and perhaps just could either strive to do better or step down and put someone else in charge because he's just not cut out for it. Yeah. One can only hope. One can only hope. <laughs> I mean, that covers up. That covers a lot of the ground that um, that I was gonna talk about. Um, I think the only other Zaslav example would be um, the Will Ferrell Mattel CEO character, but that's obviously a given. Like, a, like that <laughs> that incredible moment where he's the scene where he's you know this this toy line for girls. He's talking about you know, we had two women CEOs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and no one board. on the no one on the board is a woman. No and, one on the board. No yeah. one on the board is a person of color. I'm pretty sure they're all straight as an arrow too. So, <laughs> and also another thing too about the the the, the current environment at Warner Brothers. Uh, this being the CEO himself is a straight white dude, and I guess under, I understand has rather right leaning views. Yuck. Yeah, I'm sure. I just I, I just had, I just burped in my mouth uh, <laughs> saying that. So there you go. <laughs> can't can't say conservative without a little vomit threatening no <laughs> oh my gosh it's a nightmare joe it's all it a is nightmare. it's all a nightmare it's all a nightmare yep. mm-hmm. um so the the real world's interesting and i i think going into the movie i expected the real world to be a bigger part of the movie but it mm-hmm. largely takes place in barbie land but the the real world is interesting because we have barbie coming face to face with this world this patriarchy where men are in charge and women are subjugated and objectified and make them feel bad about themselves. And we also have her like finding Sasha who she believes is the girl that's been playing with her and is going through a hard time is creating all these problems. It turns out that Sasha does not admire Barbie does not look up to Barbie as a role model. Calls Uh, her a fascist. (laughs) Calls her a fascist call, you know, says she set feminism back 50 years, et cetera, et cetera. And it really, it really destroys Barbie to, because Barbie's whole existence is women, you know, young girls pouring their dreams and ideals into playing with Barbie and pretending with Barbie. And so Barbie becomes a doctor. Barbie becomes president. Barbie becomes Mm -hmm. 
all these amazing things, a Nobel Prize winner, because the little girls playing with her are dreaming of these, like being able to do these things one day. And that's not how the real world works. I'm not exactly sure how it ties into Zaslov, other than he's a part of that system and he is a yes. part of that culture and he benefits from the privilege of being a straight white man in America. But I think it's just a beautiful take on the movie is that exploration. I love that. that mythology. I love that too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I kind of, I love that about it too. It also yeah. explains why, you know, there's all these different colors of Barbies, like all these different yes. body types of Barbie is because they're created by the girls playing with them. And the, the form they take is cr as a result of the girls playing with them and seeing themselves in Barbie. And I, I just, I love the empowerment stuff and all of that. And I feel, and it, this will get me back to Zaslav because Barbie land is not a feminist utopia. No, it is a satire of what men think feminism is of what the Zaslavs of the <laughs> yeah. world think feminism is where women mm -hmm. run everything and men are idiots and useless. There, there's almost this oppression of men within the world, even though in Barbie land, the men, the Kens can do whatever they want to. It's like, they're all having fun. Great. But they don't have any positions of power. And so Gerwig is ingeniously building this Trojan horse of a feminist movie. <laughs> yeah. In Zaslav's Actually, system studio to criticize Zaslav's interpretation of feminism. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a very good point. That's a very good point, Joe. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, yeah, the, 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 the portrayal of Barbie land. Yeah. It is a satire of men's views of how, of men's views of how, the world would look if women were running it and perhaps it's an it's a it's a it's a critique of a uh, zaslav's point of view because i mean look at him <laughs> yeah and i think it plays into this whole idea of studios making female dominant movies and setting them up to fail so that they can point and go like look we can't make fem female movies no one likes them it's like that's the mm -hmm. whole madam web problem is it feels like a movie that was manufactured to fail so that yeah. Sony could be like, yeah, we can't make women movies anymore. People don't want to see them. It's like, you made one of the worst movies <laughs> yeah, ever. Because, <laughs> yeah. And I mean, well, yeah, and the reason why Madam Web is terrible is because of so much executive meddling. <laughs> oh yeah. It's, it's so obvious how much of a, a Frankenstein monster that movie is from where it started. I, I I didn't see it. I I honestly have no desire to see it. Especially I I didn't it. either. I mean, I didn't have any desire. I saw it just because people were calling it the worst movie they ever seen. I was like, well, I kind of have to see the worst movie someone's ever seen. I'm just curious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's and, really uh, bad. It's really really it, bad. Really bad. Oh, um, it's uh, yeah. You're not the first person to tell me that. <laughs> it's not the worst movie I've ever seen, but you know some of the worst movies I've ever seen. Well, I have, yes, I have because, a different well, standard for the worst movie I've ever seen than yeah, the normal yeah. movie going. Well, yeah, we 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 can thank our friends uh, Jeff and Tim and Jason for that. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Jeff is Jeff is single handedly responsible for maybe like the five worst movies I've ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when Jeff hears this, he's gonna put, he's gonna raise his fists up and try up. I hope you are, Jeff. <laughs> he's gonna I punch the you. sky, man. <laughs> Jeff, I Power love to the you. people. If Jeff, you're hearing this, I love you. Please don't ever change. Uh, don't ever change. I'll, I'll be there every every time. Catch a, 
Catch of Vampires 3, I'm there, and I'm going to oh, hate every second of it. <laughs> there better not be a Catch of Vampires 3. I do not want to catch I hope there trilogy. is not either. Oh, my gosh. Or, oh, my goodness. I really hope there's not another Catch of Vampires. Oh, two, two is too much. <laughs> two is two is like four too many Catch of Vampires. <laughs> yes. And I, I, I'm not saying two is in Catch of Vampires 2. I'm saying there are two Catch of Vampire movies, and, and the existence of the two was too much. So. Yeah. Jeff, love you. Don't ever change. <laughs> <laughs> we have to talk about Strange Barbie. Oh my gosh, Kate McKinnon. Yes, Kate McKinnon. Who I'm, I'm typically not a fan of Kate McKinnon. I, I don't know. Like she's always playing characters, but Weird Barbie plays the Kate McKinnonness of Kate McKinnon very well. Yeah, it's I, I like, I like Kate McKinnon. I just feel like the, the Weird Barbie was the exact right role for her strengths as an actress and a comedian. Absolutely. It, it was a perfect role for her. I, I have no, no notes and strange Barbie is a result of the little girls in the real world playing with Barbie too hard. <laughs> they cut her hair yes. and they set her on fire and they stretch her legs in the wrong direction. And you know, that sounds like a certain CEO who plays with his properties a little too hard. A thousand percent agree. That's where I was going, Tyler. Strange, yep. mm -hmm. strange Barbie represents Zaslov's perversion of these intellectual properties. I mean, there, like, there is what they're supposed to be. There's what the fans want. And then there's mm -hmm. what he <clears throat> twists them into. I mean, case in point, I mean, you see the presence of that Mortal Kombat arcade cabinet and the presence of uh, strange Barbie uh, Mortal Kombat one. I, I bought it. I played through the story mode. I tried playing the game. I saw what it what what I had to do in order to unlock certain gear pieces or costumes that I wanted to unlock, which I eat means cold hard cash, and I returned the game. I, I got a full <laughs> refund for it. I was I, I, that's the thing. I've never done that with a Mortal Kombat game before. I've and that's that's one of my all time favorite video game franchises. The newest Mortal Kombat, I had to return it and get a full refund. I was like, I can't. I I'm not doing this. I'm not playing this game. Literally not going to play this game, and I'm not going to be spending any of more of my hard-earned money because I already spent a hundred dollars or hundred and ten dollars for the premium version of it, so the guaranteed uh, downloadable content and everything like that. And it's like, no, you want me to pay additional money for these skins? You want to abuse this franchise and try to squeeze as much money out of your consumers as possible? That to me is what Strange Barbie is. It's like, you know, just kind of playing with it a little too hard, squeezing too much out of it to where it's like this twisted, mangled up corpse of a, of a, of what used to be a, a Barbie doll. Although uh, Kate McKinnon, she's able to bring a lot of uh, life and a lot of um, valuable insight into the character to, to make the film even deeper as a result and also yes. a deeper indictment of Zaslav's uh, skills as a, or lack thereof as a CEO. Yeah, Kate McKinnon and the this presence of the Mortal Kombat cabinet made me really think about Mortal Kombat 1 and how much of a profound disappointment that game turned out to be. Uh, yeah, you count me as somebody who will not be picking that game up again. And it actually even reflects on um, its status on Steam. I'm noticing how little people, how few people are playing that game compared to other fighting games like Street Fighter 6 or Tekken 8. So, yeah, uh, because of Zaslav playing with that franchise way too hard and trying to squeeze every dime out of uh, the customer's pocket as they can, yep. people are turning away from it. And Sexualized the thing is just, consumerism. 
Yeah, and there's there, and the thing is, there's still more downloadable content from this first from this first season from the, from the initial uh, pass that you had to pay for when you bought the game in order to get it. They've only put out like three, like two or three characters, uh, three characters so far, and it's been out since September. Um, and they're really kind of milking this for all it's worth. And I, I don't think it's going to be able to sustain itself. Like people are not playing, not as many people are playing this game as they did with Mortal Kombat 11. So there it is. What else, what else, what else, what else did you observe? Well, even I, with the, the strange Barbie too. Yeah. I mean, strange Barbie, I think we hit on it really well. Um, mm-hmm. what she represents and I, I appreciate her role in the movie of, uh, pushing Barbie to, go and have an adventure and go and make things right. Cause Barbie is a unique character in that she, um, she does not want things to change. She does not yeah. want to question things. She, she wants to maintain the status quo and she's forced <laughs> by outside yeah. forces to, uh, yeah. to do things. And I think Margot Robbie plays that really well. And, you know, it is a, is a nice commentary or, or guide for Zaslav in terms of like, you can't just keep things the same either. You can't abuse things. You can't keep them the same. You have to be more aware of an evolving culture around these properties and then make stories that resonate with people today, here and now. And 100%. Zaslav can't understand that. Zaslav's either no. we have to like recreate, we have to like give Zack Snyder the license to recreate things slavishly from comic books, or we need to blow things out of proportion and warp them and commodify them. There's no in between for Zaslav. We're gonna put all of our all, hinge all of our bets on the Flash. And how did that turn out? Did oh, not turn biggest, out great, Tyler. It did not go well. <laughs> biggest box office bomb in Warner Brothers history. Nicely done, Zaslav. <laughs> Nicely done. Well, well played. But I, oh. I like the ending because the ending Gerwig is clearly not just taking shots at Zaslav the entire time. At the end of the yeah. movie, Ken has a reckoning. Ken becomes his own person, and Gerwig is giving. Zaslav permission to do the same to be and and Barbie chooses to become a human being and Gerwig is giving Zaslav permission to do the same thing <laughs> and <laughs> yeah I, it, it, it is very big of uh, uh, Greta Gerwig to give Zaslav the benefit of the doubt there um, to, to remember yeah he is human we can't we can't just look at him as like some complete inhuman monster that needs to be destroyed because you know that's that's not really that's not really constructive in fact if anything it's far more detrimental so mm-hmm. I, I I really appreciate uh, Greta Gerwig making sure to recognize that hey I mean Zaslav yeah he's he's obviously not very good at what he does but we have to remember that he's human I mean, unless there's any like you know really serious criminal wrongdoings which I do think I do think the U S government should take a look at what's going on with Warner Brothers Discovery especially with these um, canceling of all these projects and these tax write offs I really think the U S government should go take a visit over to the studios like hey what's going on here mr zaslav what you doing i really do think that needs to happen but that's that's in order to so he could face justice if there's any criminal wrongdoing but not to destroy him or anything like that so i think that was very big of a credit gerwig to do that i think it's a very important and healthy and productive uh message i agree however (laughs) it is funny to me that the final moment of the movie is Barbie going <laughs> to see her gynecologist. Yes. And the, the opening image of the movie is the pink version of the Warner Brothers symbol, which looks like a vagina. Yes. And I, <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> and to me, I think Gerwig is at the beginning and end, at the end of the day, throughout, her message is clear that Zaslav has no balls. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, it's true. This this man has no, you, you know the quote from Ghostbusters. Yes, it's true. <laughs> this man has no balls. <laughs> well, that's what I heard. <laughs> that's what people we, we, are saying the rumors are true yeah we uh, yeah we, we know we we're gonna this podcast was going to be us quoting dr strange love and now it's just gonna be joe and i quoting ghostbusters <laughs> <laughs> gonna rewatch uh, the good the good ghostbusters movies yes Hoping the new uh, one the new one looks pretty good i'm tentatively excited about it we shall see we shall see, we shall see. um well that was great joe uh, unless there's anything else you want to bring up. I thought that was a spectacular breakdown of Barbie. It was. I have one final thing that I'm kind of proud of. Let's hear it. Because I was looking at Alan and his role oh, in this whole conversation. God, I didn't even think of Alan. Oh, my God. Sorry, I, Michael Sarah. <laughs> yeah, Michael Sarah's Alan. I was really struggling. Like, I love that performance. I love his role in the movie. But how does it connect to this larger discussion? Mm-hmm. And I realized that Alan in the movie represents, you know, he's Ken's pal. He's supporting Ken. Um, he's he's able to, you know, immerse himself in this world and be content with what's going on. But the real virtue of Alan is that he will, when things go wrong, turn on Ken, betray Ken for the support of Barbie, which, as we know, represents the, the larger IPs at play mm-hmm. at Warner Brothers. So Alan is James Gunn. Okay. Okay. Alan is a colleague. He probably has at least a public respect for Zaslov and how he runs a company. But at the end of the day, he's going to betray Zaslov and do what he wants and do what he knows is right for these properties, I believe. Well, I mean, I think you're onto something because James Gunn, I believe, is one of the co writers of Coyote versus Acme. Or I believe he's like, has some major involvement with that movie. And look what happened to it. Oh, man. I know, right? Like you, you hire James Gunn to be the your new flagship for DC. He's on this movie project, Coyote versus Acme. It's getting Which people seem to really like. It's testing Those really well. Those who have seen it, yeah. Those who have seen it, it's testing really well. James Gunn has a big part of it. It's, it plays a big role in it. And what happened? Uh, Zaslav is going to shelve it, delete it, have it as a tax write off, and that's that involves your flagship head of DC, Zaslav. What are you doing? <laughs> so yeah, Alan, yeah, that that he is absolutely James Gunn. Oh, one hundred percent. Wow, Gerwig Ger- Ger- really called it. Gerwig really called, called it all. Gerwig's got her finger on the pulse over here. Yes. Oh yeah. She she definitely she she saw the writing on the wall to say the least. And Joe mm-hmm. also Joe Joe also that was magnificent. Very nicely done. You too, sir. Just thank incredible you. work. Thank you. Fun. Thank you. Oh, the, yeah, this uh, one of the one of the best uh, Stranger Themes I've done in quite some time. Uh, I'm, I'm speaking for myself here in terms of my own uh, execution of the theory. Uh, I feel I feel really good about this one. I, I was so, I was trying to come up with a theory for you. I was so happy when it came up with like a bar. I was like, of course, it has to be a Barbie related theory that we shove into Oppenheimer. That's the only thing that makes sense. I, What's like, I funny, love that. too, is that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny, too, is that even before these themes um yeah, coming out of both Barbie and Oppenheimer, it's like, wow, actually, both of these movies were really political. Because <laughs> you got yeah. Barbie, which is like this feminist icon, and, and like, the, like we have like discussions about feminism and toxic masculinity, 
Then you have Oppenheimer, which is basically an indictment of the American government. (laughs) (laughs) Which Barbie's also about. It's like, it's hard to shove an Oppenheimer theme, an existing Oppenheimer theme into Barbie because it's doing the same stuff, really, by and large. Yes, (laughs) exactly. And also the fact that it was a Warner Brothers property, it's like, oh, I've got to say something about David Zaslav. I've got to do it. We got to have that conversation again. Because Oppenheimer really is the ultimate indictment of zaslav like it is it's it's existence is like screw you warner brothers (laughs) it really is i'm gonna go make a billion dollars for somebody else and see how you like it (laughs) and it's gonna be a three-hour movie of people in rooms talking that's all it's gonna be (laughs) and somehow aaron sorkin didn't write it (laughs) no he didn't but it it feels like it's still great it's still great. It even feels like an Aaron Sorkin movie. Um, it, there's a lot of Sorkin-y, yeah, that's high praise for it. But I, it, it's yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I, I'm I'm pretty sure that Nolan probably studied the Social Network, like or or, the, or watched The West Wing in preparation for making Oppenheimer. I know JFK was a was a cinematic influence for it. Um, although I think Oppenheimer is a bit more historically accurate than JFK, but JFK is still a very entertaining movie, even though still it, haven't yeah. seen it. Yeah, it, it's, it's it's entertaining. Just don't believe everything that you're told. It is Oliver Stone. Um, he, of course, is, yeah. Great but it is, and all. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's uh, but it is a very entertaining movie. I think Oppenheimer is a little bit better though, mainly because it's way more historically accurate. But yeah, like remember coming out of Barbenheimer and then thinking about both movies, like wow, like for for uh, what was supposed to be uh, you know, summer blockbuster popcorn entertainment, which I think is hilarious that Oppenheimer was even considered that given the subject matter. <laughs> is that wow? These were both like really deep and also have also kind of very radical especially Oppenheimer in it being kind of an indictment of the McCarthy. It's an indictment, certainly of the McCarthy era, uh, a scathing indictment of that. Um, and it is an indictment of, of America, of like the, the United States government, especially because how it, after the creation of the atomic bomb, we helped kick off the nuclear arms race. And now the, the world, uh, the world powers are being run by total absolute maniacs. Yay. Word. <laughs> Yay. Well, with that, Tyler, you got anything you want to plug or recommend? <laughs> um, I just finished up uh, the TV show Succession. It was amazing. Absolutely amazing. I actually ended up going through that show twice. Um, it just finished up its run from last year. So now the entire series you can watch. Uh, you'll have to watch it on the same streaming platform as Barbie, which is uh, HBO Max or just Max. But uh, I thoroughly enjoyed that show. Uh, it was... It's it's a it's a it's an amazing satire. Imagine like a satire on a family that funk that basically is little to no different from the Trumps, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's it's also got some truly wonderful performances all around. Brian Cox is great. Uh, so is Jeremy Strong, Sarah Snook, Kieran Culkin, uh, Matthew oh, McFadden, uh, Alan Braden, Ruck, Nathan, Nathan Bright. What's the guy? What's that guy's name? Who plays? Which, the cousin, the younger cousin. Oh, oh, Nicholas Greg. Braun. Nicol- uh, Nic- Nicholas Something? Braun. He, he's ah, also yes. great too. Nicholas I've Braun. always liked Nicholas Braun. Yeah. He's he's fantastic as cousin Greg. Oh my. He's so goodness. good in that. He he really makes the show for me. Him and Kieran Culkin are just so much fun to watch. The whole they thing are. <laughs> no, I, I I finally got around to, to watching the entire series. I ended up watching it twice. Uh, so listeners, if you have not seen Succession. It lives up to the hype. Uh, aspects of it kind of feel borderline Shakespearean, and and actually for me in a lot of ways, 
Uh, Succession reminded me a lot of The Godfather and The Godfather Part Two. So it's, yeah, and it and it and no, it, it does not make uh, uh, the rich and powerful, especially of a media conglomerate, look good. Which uh, already for me was sort of like, okay, well, I'm I'm curious to see this, and oh no, it really doesn't make them look good. Uh, it, yeah, if you if you are if you're not a fan of folks like the Trumps. Or if you stick around for season three with uh, Alexander Skarsgård, who's basically like an Elon Musk <laughs> equivalent. If you're not a fan of Elon Musk, uh, you'll really love Alexander Skarsgård in this. Uh, definitely check out the show if you haven't seen it. Uh, I'm obviously a big fan. Uh, Joe, you got anything you want to plug or recommend? I'll throw out a couple of things just because, you know, who knows when we're going to podcast again. But mm-hmm. um, I, I just finished the live action Last Airbender series on oh. Netflix. I was okay. You know, I was looking forward to it, and I'm I'm really impressed with how they pulled it off. I hope they do more. It's like it's it's a little bit more mature. It's a little bit more grown up, but I think it still has a lot of the fun of the uh, the cartoon. So I, I think it's really good. I still need to see that. I love the cartoon. Love the cartoon. It, it's definitely not better than the cartoon. I, it's hard to imagine anything being better than the cartoon, but it's I think worth your time. I, I enjoyed it. Well, I mean, I think I think um, I think there's something to be said, like, you know, just being able to kind of accept something on its own terms. Um, mm-hmm. One will probably be your preference, but that doesn't mean that the that doesn't mean the other can just be written off completely. I'll check out that live action series. I'll also recommend I'm, I just started. I just finished the first season, but I finally got around to starting Ozark. Oh, and the first season is fantastic. It's excellent. It's it's got a lot of like breaking bad vibes. I remember those parallels when it first came out, but it's different. Okay. It's got a whole other dynamic going on so far. I'm loving Ozark. Excellent. Excellent. Joe, this was, this was a blast. It was uh, no, no pun intended. Good to be back. <laughs> <laughs> it was good to be back. Um, not sure when we'll be back again. Um, it'll, it'll probably be some time. I, cause I, uh, I, uh, as of the recording of this, uh, doom part two is coming out and I'm, I'm going to be making kind of a big weekend of that because I got to take my dad to see it. So uh, it might yep, be a I gotta bit. got to make time to rewatch the first one before I can go see the second one. But I might not see the second one right away because Amanda's going to be here for a couple weeks. Gotcha, gotcha. So, well, I will definitely be holding off on uh, conversations with you about Doom Part 2 until I see your logging of it on Letterboxd. Which will happen immediately after I see it because otherwise I'll forget. <laughs> yep. And uh, also we may or may not be teasing uh, a page turners for Doom Part 2. Uh, right now, that'll which, be... which might just be me listening to Tyler's expertise on Dune because I do not understand the book at all. We <laughs> <laughs> see Trevor and I talking about it and just talking about all the changes that they made from the, the second part of the book. So, but I, I'm very much looking forward to the movie. Oh, me, oh, you and me both. Oh my god, I've been looking forward to that movie since the first time the end credits rolled when I went to go see it uh, back mm-hmm. in like October of 2021. I was like, I need part two right now. Otherwise, <laughs> what's the point? What was the point of this? <laughs> and now it is upon us. And, and now, and yeah, and now Doom Part One, there's a reason for it to exist. <laughs> so, well, uh, listeners, uh, thank you uh, for tuning in. Uh, Joe, as always, thank you for having me on. Thanks for coming, Tyler. Making the mm-hmm. time. Absolutely. We will get together soon. But that's it. Good night, Andrew. Yeah, we just might feel good. I wanna push you away.